My name is Grant Rothberg. I am the pastor of Discipleship and Biblical Counseling here, if you don't know who I am. Um, but I'd like to kick us off with a word of prayer, and then we'll get going tonight. Sound good, Mike? That's good. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for these men, and I want to thank you for their desire to follow your example and become disciple makers as you are a disciple maker. And uh, I pray that you would uh, open up our hearts and minds to your truth, that you would call us to be challenged and that you would be glorified in all that we do here tonight. I pray that you'd be with Brian and Angela as they speak to others, that you would uh, help their message to uh, be well-received. Uh, they would be part of transforming uh, homes all over the place. And we pray that you'd be lifted up and glorified uh, in those families. So we love you, Lord, and uh, we pray that you'd be present here with us and that your will be done tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, you really can't hear anything. This is kind of useless, right? Should I get rid of this? Turn it up. I don't know how to turn it up. Use it. Use it? Use it. Okay, Doug's saying use it. All right, so I'm going to stick with it. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk tonight actually about our first chair. We're going to make it there. This is the book. I mean, the book is Four Chair Discipling. We haven't even talked about chairs much at all, so we're going to get into that tonight. And uh, before we do that, I just want to do a quick recap. So we've covered so far the basics of this, which is we want to follow the model of Jesus. Jesus has given us a clear model for us to follow, and what we saw uh, one of the first weeks, Brian talked about his humanity, how Jesus was fully man, he's fully God, but when he came and he lived here on this earth, as he lived in his humanity, he was the perfect man, and he gives us the example of how to truly live as a human. So for us, we look at him, and he was somebody who relied on the Holy Spirit, he knew the scriptures inside and out, when Satan tempts him, he quotes scripture to refute him, when uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are disputing with him. He uses scripture to answer their arguments. When he's teaching the disciples, he uses scripture as the basis of his teaching. When he's looking at his uh, arrest and trial and crucifixion, scriptures would give him the understanding that this stuff was supposed to happen so that the scriptures could be fulfilled. So he relied on God's word. Uh, he was about exalting the Father and about his business. He listened to him closely. And for us, he's our example. It makes basic sense as if he's the rabbi and we are the disciples, and we want to look like that rabbi. Uh, one of my favorite stories, actually, from the first century period is there was a rabbi who had a limp. He grew up, he had some sort of uh, deformity in his foot, and uh, his disciples could be recognized by people because they all walked with the same limp that he had. That's the essence of what it is to be a disciple, is you look like the master. So for us, Jesus is our model. He's our example. So the scriptures tell us that whoever claims to live in him must walk as he walked. It's that simple. If we are from his tree, then we are going to be his kind of a fruit. So we're going to be like, uh, like him. He's our model. Uh, we also saw about his uh, mission, the mission of Christ. We see, of course, in uh, Matthew 28, the Great Commission is uh, he, he gives us the command to go and to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that he has commanded. That's one reason why we do classes like this is because Jesus told us to. He told us to teach people how to obey all of his commands. So his mission is one of going throughout the entire world and making disciples to the glory of God. And that's also our mission. What motivated him through this is his love for God. He gives us this answer. What's the great commandment? And he says to love the Lord your God with all you are, with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second is like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. So we, we can't love people well if we don't bring them the things they need the most. If we don't introduce them to the one who made them and for whom they were made, then we don't love them well. And Jesus was motivated by that love. He says, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. So he gives us this example. He's motivated by his love for us and his love for the Father. And that's also what drives us 
is if we truly love people, we want them to have a relationship with the one who made them. We want them to know their creator and to be who they were designed to be. And lastly, as we begin to look at his method, the method of Jesus, as he gives this command to come and follow him, uh, he gives the command, uh, of course, to go make disciples. We see throughout Jesus' life, there are some unique things he does repeatedly. Anybody know, so what are the things Jesus tends to get in trouble with, with the Pharisees? What's something that he did that they got mad about? It could be anything. Okay, so he's working on the Sabbath. He's, he's healing people on the Sabbath day. That's a good example. Hanging out with the sinners. Hanging out with sinners. Right? That was the big one. Like, again and again and again. He's hanging out with sinners. That gets him in trouble. What else? Study with God. Okay, so he says, God, we don't want to do that one. That's one method we're not going to copy. But what's that? <laughs> By the way, guys, you should know something tonight. <laughs> we'll copy that one. He told them they didn't know scripture. Okay, yeah, so he, he tells them they don't know scripture, and he uses scripture to show them they don't know scripture, right? So it's not just his teaching. So there's all sorts of examples. If we actually look at the things Jesus did, it shows us a clear method that we as disciple makers can use as well. One of those things is he goes to lost people. He hangs out with sinners, and he has meals with them. Uh, he knows them as friends. He lets them follow him. Those are good things that we can emulate. So Jesus is uh, our example when it comes to the method. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at this first chair here. The first chair. So Chad's looking at me back here. Hey Chad, you know this stuff. Okay, so the first chair is come and see. Okay, so here's the logic of this, this entire, the beauty of the four chair model. And it's just a model. Okay, it's just a way to understand how disciple making happens. So let's be real clear about this. We're not saying this is, we're going to find each of these chairs, you know, described just says chair one is this, and chair two is this. It's a model for us to understand how disciple-making happens from A to Z. So in the first case here, the person who is in chair one is somebody who is apart from God. This is the unbeliever. Someone who is lost is in chair one. And then we move on to chair two. It's somebody now who has placed their faith in Christ. And the command Jesus gives them at this point is to follow him. That, that, that's their objective, is to learn how to follow the master. So they were sort of wandering the villages on their own, so to speak. And then the master comes by and says, follow me. They respond. And so their job in chair two is to learn how to follow the master and become like him. Chair three, if you want to think about this, it's the mission of uh, fishing for men. This is kind of like the working place. Where now this person has been following the master. They've learned his commands. And now they're going and inviting other people to come be introduced to Jesus. That's in chair three. And the last chair, the fourth chair, is sort of the end of maturity. And that's somebody now who is... Uh, bearing much fruit. They have multiplied their ministry. So these people are calling people to come meet Jesus. And this person has called somebody to meet Jesus and has trained them up to the point where now they are calling people to come meet Jesus. See how that makes sense? So we're not saying like one person is morally a better person, but this person is further down the road of their ministry where they have called people, they have shared their faith with folks, they have trained them and discipled them to the point where they are now able to invite people to come meet Jesus and follow him. Does that make sense? So when we get to that point, we've graduated to the fourth chair. And we look and we see there's somebody that I have trained who is now actively making disciples and moving people from chair one to chair two. Does that make sense? Okay, that's what we're going to focus on tonight. For me, it makes more sense to look at it kind of like this. If you look at it in the sense of our, our sort of spiritual maturity, uh, th these are the chairs here. Is in the first case, the, the command, the invitation Jesus gives is to come and see. That's really the goal for the person who's in chair one. There's somebody who is lost, they're on their own, and so we want to call them to come be introduced to Rabbi Jesus, to our master, to our savior. 
at some point from that chair, they repent and they put their faith in Christ. They believe in him. At that point, they go move to chair number two. And now there's somebody who's learning how to follow Jesus. And you've seen this. If you think about maybe your own life or somebody you led to the Lord, there was a moment where they became somebody who wanted to follow Christ. They repented of their sins. They put their faith in him. But now the problem was, what do I do about this, right? How do I pray? Do I go to church? What sort of stuff should I be doing? They're in that second chair of how do I follow Jesus? As they mature, we teach them how to share their faith with other people, how to become a, a full disciple of Christ is to be a fisher of men. So they graduate into the third chair. Once they've learned, they know the basics of the faith, they know how to obey his commands, and they begin to shift their eyes towards those around them in their circles and invite them to meet Jesus. Now they shift to that third chair. And at the point where they finally reach maturity is when they have invited somebody to meet Jesus who has indeed met him, who now is inviting <coughs> other people to meet Jesus. Then they graduate to that fourth chair, and they are now a fully mature disciple who, as the scriptures say, they are bearing much fruit. John 15 tells us his desire is that we would bear much fruit. Not there's those who bear fruit, there are those who bear much fruit. This is the multiplying phase of our ministry. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at this first chair here as we go. So what we're going to do is a little bit different is I want to split up into tribes actually right now. And I need to ask you to be very, very good on your time because we have like tons of stuff and... Uh, I want to make sure you have plenty of time to discuss at the end of tonight. That's going to be the most important part. Um, so if you know where your tribe is, uh, go ahead and go with them where you guys have been meeting. But here are the two questions I'd like you to ask. And if you can, try to keep it to 10 minutes. So that means that your answer needs to be about like 30 to 45 seconds to each question. So you can move on because someone's going to take three minutes. You know that. There's always somebody. Uh, so the first question is, is just to catch up with each other. Just do a check-in. Is How have you seen God's goodness at work in your life since the last time we met? That's it. Just a real quick snippet. What's one thing you've seen God doing in your life uh, since the last time we met? And the second question is, I'd like you to share your story just a little bit of who it was that introduced you to Jesus. Who was that introduced you to him and helped you come to know him? That's it. Just share with your tribe who, the, who that person was. When you guys finish up, then come back in here. Sound good? Who has a story of something God's been doing this week that we have to all hear about? Okay, I tell you Come on, Mark. My youngest grandson got saved this week. Your youngest grandson got saved. That's awesome. That's his name. Casey. That is awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Who else has something cool that they've seen God doing this week? Well, it's hard to call it cool, but last Wednesday morning I got a message that a family friend, um, this man who my wife and I have known for a long time, he um, he basically told me that he had an affair. And um, he's uh, the long, the short story basically is that he's a sex addict and he's dealing with those issues. But um, we've um, his wife has already committed that she's not going to leave him. She's going to stand by him. Uh, she wants uh, you know they're going to get him help. And uh, last Saturday I got to spend about an hour and a half on the phone with him and just you know remind him of who the Lord is and what he does. Well, it's, a, it's a terrible circumstance, but God's using you in that. It's cool to see how God is reconciling them. Yeah, and I think it works work. being done in his heart, too. So that's that's the cool part. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. I saw another hand over here. Yeah, um, my wife is going to a three-day uh, women's retreat called Catalyst with another church. And um, I, one of my assignments as her sponsor, that's the term, was to gather letters to surprise her on the last day of it. 
and uh, about people who wanted to say something about her, how she's affected their life or their walk, etc. And I'm up to 90 letters. Wow. So reading some of those just is stunning in terms of the impact. You never know who you are going to impact with your witness. 90 letters. Yeah. People in Franklin. That's incredible. What about from this side of the room? I feel we're a little unbalanced. Someone from over here. Let's share. Yeah, go John. Um, after a Sunday sermon, I, I I kept believing the lie, and I shared something with my wife from my past that it that every time I get approached by it, um, I, I always tell myself I don't want to tell my wife, so I keep it from her. And I sat down with her and, and finally opened up about it to her. And um, I always thought that she was going to be upset and angry and with me, and for for even taking these phone calls. And um, and she actually sat down and understood, and, and we prayed about it. She said, hopefully now that if that does happen, I can come to her. She can help me. Say, hey, don't don't go down that path. Again. That's awesome. So you got some freedom there, and you actually have a deeper relationship with your wife now. Yeah. That's the lie. It's, oh, we have a strong relationship. We keep secrets. We preserve it. But now you found some freedom, and that's awesome. Let's do one more. These are good. We should do this more often. One more. Now I don't want to be that. Well, I don't know if mine's going to be the last one. <laughs> Jesse. Jesse will do that. You're not afraid. I had a, uh, a lady at my apartment community uh, stopped and talked. Connections we do like ministry or apartment community, and uh, it's one of the office workers. While I was getting a package, told me, uh, you know, she was having uh, trouble with her husband. They were down the path of divorce, and papers were already filed, and uh, they wanted to uh, come to our church in October. Uh, they want to have dinner with us. Uh, they need help. And interestingly, is they're, they're both Mormons, and um, they it's not working. They're they're wanting something different. They want newness. And I recognize you guys know something about where to find some answers. Pray for us all. I'm hoping that this amazing community changes their life. That's great. So all y'all know now, be extra nice when you see somebody you don't recognize. <laughs> well, um, so so what we've done here is this is, I know this seems like uh, just a simple kind of a deal, but this is actually a really easy technique that you can use when you're meeting with your disciples, when you're disciple making with somebody is just ask them how they're seeing God move in their life. And it's something like, it, it almost seems too churchy, like, oh, everyone knows that kind of stuff, but it helps sometimes to stop and reflect on how we see God at work, because often we may miss that. You know, oftentimes our prayer request time, our uh, health concerns and needs and things like that, they're important, they're great, but let's stop and reflect on how is God actually working and showing his goodness and faithfulness in your life. And even, I mean, Jeremy, you say, sure, a great example, it's a terrible account. But you can see God's hand in it. Even in something difficult that you're facing, God is still at work in that. And that's an important discipline to build in people that we're discipling. It's help them reflect and see, how is God at work in my life right now? Because he is. They just need to get eyes to see that. And we can help them with that. So thank you for participating with that. I hope it was encouraging for you uh, as you talked with your tribe. Uh, we're going to pick up again now here at the first chair. Um, so again, the first chair is this idea of, Coming and see and seeing Christ, of, of being introduced to him. So the journey begins with those who are lost. That's where it starts. It doesn't begin with somebody when they come to church and they already believe. That's not when discipleship begins. But disciple-making actually begins with evangelism. They're not separate processes. It's one thing. 
is making disciples begins with taking people who are far off from God and helping them be reconciled to him. People who don't know Christ and introducing them to him. So the very first chair is those who are uh, those who are far off from him, those who are lost. And that's what Jesus' mission was, is to come and to seek and save the lost. So if you have your Bible now, go ahead and flip open to John chapter 1. I'm going to put it on the screen too, but if you have a physical Bible with you, I would encourage you to use it and just kind of get in the habit of looking in it and finding where the verses are. Uh, and again, that's something I would encourage you to do with your disciples, so just to not rely on the phones or iPads or a printed sheet you may give them, but help them get the discipline of looking in their own Bible and finding where things are. So uh, it's important to get. So we're look at John chapter 1, and we're going to start in uh, verse 9, okay? So John chapter 1, verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So who is this talking about, this true light? Jesus. All right, good. we got one church answer in today, so we're, we're done. So the true light gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and that is Jesus. Good job. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So let's stop here for a second. You can look on the screen or you can look down in your Bible. Is there anything you see in these verses that could be? We're just talking out loud here. We're just friends. We've been here for a couple weeks now. We're just friends. Anything you see here that could be helpful in this idea of pursuing the lost? Anything that, that, that could have something to do with the lost and give us information on how we should pursue the lost? Anything you see? They're, they're in the dark. Okay, they're in the dark. They're in the dark. Yeah, great. And that's, that's what Jesse shares, too. So you got folks who recognize we're in the darkness, and we need some light. Good observation. And maybe they're thinking they don't have much religion, or they, you know, there's, there's really not a need to be religious. So they may be in the dark. They don't even know they're in the dark. It could be a deal. Yeah, they don't know that I don't have this faith. I don't have even a need for some religious connection to God. Yeah, they're in so much in the dark, they don't even know they're in the dark. That's the worst kind of thing. Go ahead, It says that he was in the world, uh, but the world did not know him. So you get the same idea in the world, but different from the world. You bring the light into the darkness. Yeah, so, so we have this distinct Jesus who is in contrast to the world around him, and some of them don't recognize him. So it's his own actually don't know him. Well, in the middle of that statement, it says, and the world was made through him. It declares him to be the creator. Oh, yeah. We want people to know their creator, right? Wouldn't that be a shame if you never knew your creator? That's important. All, all the way back here, Max. Hey, Grant, I, I think about how do you define dark? How do you find dark? What's the definition of dark? Yeah. The absence what? of light. Yeah. Yeah, darkness is That's the absence right. of light. You can't measure darkness. You just can measure the minimus, how, how minimal the Man, that sounds like engineering to me. I'm just over here. <laughs> that sounds like there's going to be math at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm That's good. All the way back here. So um, it says that all who receive him, so it's available to become children of God. Yeah, there seems to be a kind of an openness to this. I mean, we're just talking here. We're just friends. No one's going to argue with each other right now. We're just friends talking. Come on, guys. Calm down over here. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's common. The darkness is common. 
It's the world, right? It's the whole world. It's not just you. Yeah. So, man, I, I, well, I'm too dark. I, I've got too much stuff. It's like, well, you're a person. We're all there. That's everybody. It's not a unique condition. You know, it talks about, but all who did receive and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I think there's so many people who are so caught up in their sin and so broken and think that they can't be saved, that there is no reclamation of their life, that they can never be washed clean. Yeah. That it, it's clear and factual that they can, no matter how bad you are. God, Christ yeah. has given you that right. To be and how clean. can they? How, how can they be clean? Only through the grace of God. He says to those who received him, right? That's the, that's the ticket. This is why this is so complicated, but kind of not. It's receiving him. We'll, we'll come to that. Yeah. And then 13 there when it says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Um, something they can understand is that God can do this for them. You know, it's, it's not something they can do or that they can engineer in their own, of their own doing. But if they're willing to receive it, God can remake their heart and, and draw them to himself. Yeah, this is at the core, it's a work of God, mm-hmm. not of man. So this is the deal, if we're all in this darkness, how do I get myself out? How do I get free of these sins? Well, it's, it's impossible. Can't you can't do, do it. <laughs> but good news, because I know somebody who can do it. Yeah, let's yeah, And even beyond, uh, in addition to that, it says, not of the blood, which would be like my grandfather was a preacher, Mm-hmm. It's not the will of flesh. It's not something that I can do. Uh, not the will of man. It is, in fact, only God can do this for you and through you. Yeah. That's good. So, so your lineage doesn't matter? Anybody from great stock here? Anybody from bad stock? It doesn't matter. That's, that's, not, that's not relevant. And that's, of course, it's not as big of a deal in a society like ours where anybody can make it into, you know. But a lot of societies around the world is you have to be born from the right stuff. Especially when you're talking into a Jewish context, we have Gentiles that are there, we have some that are of, of wealth, some that are of prestige, and some that are not. That's not a barrier to acceptance in God's eyes. It's not. But it's the will of God. It's God's work that does this. I, w- I want to point out two things here that stood out to me. Is first, we see this true light. This is, this is throughout John. As you see, John kind of starts off with this cosmic view of in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So we kind of have this like heavenly view, so to speak. And then we get to this point where the word is coming into the world. This light is coming into the world. And the next thing is we see verse 11, this, this phrase kind of again is, he comes to his own. Uh, and I want to suggest a couple things that we see from the, about the model of Jesus in this. Uh, is first is he leaves, and this is from the book, uh, if you read this chapter, this is chapter 5 we're doing today, the, the first chair. Uh, they note um, that he leaves the comforts of heaven and enters into our world. This is the, the, really the wonder of John 1, this introduction of John 1. We see this reflected also in Philippians chapter 2, as though he is God himself, he doesn't regard this something he grasps, but he empties himself, becomes like one of us. Is this God uh, who comes, who leaves things behind, the comforts and rights and privileges which he deserves, which he is entitled to, and he comes and lives with different people. He comes and lives among them. And so that's something that we see in the model of Jesus. He leaves behind something that is fitting for him to have. Okay, he deserves the worship and adoration of angels and saints from eternity past. Right? But, but Jesus leaves that behind and comes into our world where people don't even recognize him. This is from that passage. He leaves it behind and comes to people who don't even recognize him. Another thing we kind of see here, uh, 
is, we've seen this elsewhere, is that he kind of grows in his humanity as he grows in wisdom and, and in stature. He, he learns as he goes in his life. Uh, he goes through this process of 30 years of preparing himself for this ministry. Uh, before he actually engaged in the ministry, he was 40 days in the wilderness, his preparation time. But he's learning this context and culture to which he is sent to. He's learning these people inside and out. He knows the scriptures. He knows who they are. Uh, and, and that has prepared him for this work of ministry. So we're looking at the model of Jesus. I think those are two things that we don't want to miss, is he is, has something that he deserves, and he willingly gives it up in order to go to people who need to have the light in their presence. And he prepares for that mission. 30 years on earth in preparation, 40 days in the wilderness, fasting and praying before he begins his public ministry in order to prepare for what God has set before him. That's what Jesus does. So let's pick up another passage. Stay in John chapter 1 because I don't want you guys to wear yourselves out, you know, turning pages. So I'm here for you. So stay, in fact, probably even on the same page for some of you. Let's go look at verse 35. Because I care about you, I want you to stay right here. So we're looking again for things that we can learn about the model of Jesus, the methods of Jesus for introducing the lost uh, to the light. So let's look at this together here. Again, if you have it in your Bible, try to look at it there. Uh, but it says, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus and as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Which is kind of a weird thing when somebody like, hey, what are you guys looking for? Well, where are you staying? I'm like, ah. Oh. I mean, if somebody said, if you said that to me, I'm probably not going to tell you. Uh, just a heads up. But Jesus does it. I think that helps when you do have that uh, divinity that you can always tap into. So, uh, so where are you staying? And he says, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So that's probably about 4 p.m. Uh, so they stay at least two hours. The next day technically starts at 6 p.m. So it's at least two hours. It could be they stay the night and they have like a sleepover and they talk you know, all throughout the night. Or it could be they stay for several hours and they leave later that evening. But it's at least several hours that they are with him. So one of the two uh, who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, we're just friends here. We're just a couple guys talking. I mean, come on. What do you guys see here that maybe you think could inform us for introducing people to Jesus? Well, Those Jesus were in that first alert. chair. Jesus was alert. Somebody's there. Said, what, are you, what are you looking for? Jesus is alert. Yeah. Where do you see that? He said, what are you seeking? Yeah, so they're following him, and he does like, maybe he does like a 180. It's like, yeah. What do you want? What are you looking for? I mean, he's, he's following. He's already behind him, right? Yeah. So he has to be aware that the officer is behind him. And he has to be, hey, what do you guys want? What are you following me for? Yeah. Good insight. So he is sensitive to their presence. And he asks them, what, what, what are you guys looking for? What are you seeking? Good. What else? What do you see? We're just friends here. We're just talking. Good, Jeremy. <clears throat> Digging this out a little bit, but they call him rabbi, uh, which, of course, is a specific title, but... The idea there is that they seem to understand that there was something that could be learned from him. You know? Yeah. Good. Yeah, so they see there's something about him that we can learn from. 
And it helps when you have like John the Baptist is kind of a big wig say, there's the Lamb of God. They're like, I'm going to check that out. Because it looks like a person. Yeah. So they heard John the Baptist say, hey, behold, there's the Lamb of God. So John had poured into these people so much previously. And, and that, that underscores the importance of our own uh, influence you know, as, as we're out there pointing people to Christ. A lot of times that, that point is influential because, you know, they see Jesus in us. Yeah. So John has earned that right to sort of give them a go in this direction. He points them there. Good, good. But Jesus has time for them. He makes time for them. Doesn't stick to the schedule. Where, where do you see that? Which verse, which part do you see that in? Yeah, he, he, he sees them follow them or whatever. He stops and kind of engages with them. Okay, what are you seeking? Yeah. And then... Come and see. He, he invites them into his world, right? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. So he makes time. He kind of inconveniences himself to include them. We kind of see this followed up from that what we saw in the theological sense in that first passage from, from John. Of he comes into our world, he leaves heaven behind. Here it's the same sort of thing. As he, is, he allows himself to be inconvenienced. He has the right to get a good night's sleep and not have other people hanging out with him. But he, he invites them into his world in that case. Good. So what does this do for people who are lost and they, you know, during the time of so many so-called disciples? So what does it do for them? I mean, the, you know, the, the same problem we have today, so many different religious ideas, you know, and hearing Jesus speaking. Yeah, so how do, you, how do you know that this is the right one to follow? Yeah. Kind of the question, yeah. yeah. Well, I think the beauty is uh, John gives us that answer. Is that in the Gospel of John, at the end of it, he tells us that these things are written so we could believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, that we're believing we could have life in his name. So he basically tells us, read the rest of the Gospel, and you'll see my argument for why Jesus is the one we should follow. You know? and so that's a good thing for us to, to make sure we know is why Jesus? Why, why, why should you follow him and somebody else? We've got to have that answer before we invite people to follow him. Right? Why should you follow this person? So let me, let me point this out here. Um, you, you've done a great job. Is look at these questions Jesus asks. And he caught this one, is what are you seeking? He says, uh, come and you will see. He said, there's our, our phrase for the first chair is come and see. And they stayed with him. A couple things we see Jesus does from, from these phrases, and you guys picked up on a lot of great stuff here. Um, some more things we see from his model is uh, he does make himself available deliberately. And he intentionally cultivates that relationship. It's one thing to say, hey, what are you guys looking for? I would love to talk with you about that tomorrow morning once I get a good night's sleep and I have my bowl of oatmeal and my cup of coffee and I get my you know, early morning run in or something. you know. But he intentionally makes time and creates space to cultivate that relationship with these guys, to visit with them. We also see that he responded to those people who showed interest. I think Alex, you picked this up right away. As he notices them, he picks up on these guys are ready. They're asking questions and he responds to them with the right things. He gives Peter this new name. It's kind of a shortened version of Peter's calling to follow him. Uh, but we see some, some lessons from Jesus that we can take from here. Let's look at one last passage here, uh, or one, one last piece from this. Um, I want you to notice what, what these guys do, what Peter uh, and Andrew does. So Jesus sees them. He says, what are you seeking? He's sensitive to them. And he says, come and you will see. And then he invites them to come with them. And notice how they're already picking up on his example. His first words to them were, come and you will see. The very first thing Jesus does is invites them to a relationship with him. The very first thing is come 
and see me. And I want you to pick up what Andrew does here. He goes, he finds his brother, and he brings him to Jesus. He says, come and see Jesus. The same pattern here. You see that? That's, that's multiplication. That's disciple making at work in Jesus' life. He has used a method and is picked up immediately by Andrews. I'm going to take somebody, I'm going to introduce them to Jesus. Can you introduce somebody to Jesus like this? Yeah, this is so easy a caveman can do it, right? Yes, he didn't have to have like all the apologetic answers to every question. He didn't to know about every denomination, every religion in the world at this point. He didn't have to have all those answers to all those questions. All he knew at this point is, I'm going to take my brother and introduce him to Jesus. You know, he starts with that most inner circle in his life, his family, his brother. He's not going out to the co-worker yet, but he's making sure his family is introduced to Jesus. He grabs his brother, Peter, and brings him to him. Let's look at this last passage here. Uh, stay there in John. In fact, you can just look down the next few verses in John 43 through 49. So the next day after all this stuff happens, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. That's that second chair. He's inviting him to follow him. Eventually comes this point of inviting him. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael. So there's that finding again. Remember how Andrew found Peter? And now we have Philip finding Nathanael. Uh, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Have you seen that before? Oh my gosh, it's like we're seeing a pattern here. Almost like there's a method to this. A model we can follow. He says, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered, this is the repentance part, Rabbi, you are the Son of God and the King of Israel. Okay, so that's moving from chair one to chair two now. We see it happen in Nathaniel's life. So you've already kind of picked up on those two points and these out. What we see is Philip found Nathaniel. Same pattern. What does he do? Some guy he knows. Somebody he knows. He goes to, he seeks them out. And when he comes up against this opposition, what does he do? Come and see him. Come and let me give you an invitation to meet Jesus. That's the first step of the process of disciple-making. This evangelistic process is inviting somebody to come meet Jesus. So let's look at this, this model of Jesus kind of applied practically. So we see Jesus leaving the comforts of this world and kind of coming to, uh, of, his, uh, of heaven and coming to live with us. Um, here's what, what people in that first chair need is they need Christ followers who are willing to enter their world. All right, this is where we use the word sometimes in church, incarnational, you know, of a, uh, where Jesus kind of is incarnated, he becomes flesh to live among us. This is what incarnational ministry is. It's just simply going to somebody else's world. That's it. That means adopting their language if need be. That means doing things that maybe like you wouldn't normally do, like, uh, like Daniel does, uh, you do this cowboy stuff. If I were to go do that, then I'm probably going to like have to put on big boots and like get muddy and stuff. You know, I don't like that. I just don't like it. You know, I got to be in air conditioning all day. But I'm going to go ahead and swim a little bit to reach those people. It's entering somebody else's world where they are, giving up your rights and your privileges because you love those people and you love God so much you want them to know Him, for Him to be honored and glorified by having more of these disciples. So 
These people in the first chair, these lost people of whom we were all one, they need Christ followers who are willing to leave their world and enter theirs. Does that make sense? Um, the second thing we see is Jesus prepares himself, and they need people who have prepared themselves appropriately. You can't enter that world well unless you know the sorts of things that you're going to see. Uh, so uh, if we know there are certain questions that people in your neighborhood, for example, are asking or wrestling with, it would just be a good thing for you to kind of brush up on answers to those questions. If you have a question, you know, Robert, you asked this question, well, how do we know which guy to follow? Which is, let's have an answer to that question. We can anticipate that as an objection. Well, how, how do you know that your way is right? It's probably a good idea to have thought about that beforehand. So Jesus goes through an intentional preparation process, and so too we need to go through an intentional preparation process. Those people in that first chair, they need to meet Jesus, and they need people who can introduce him, who are prepared to introduce him. Third thing is he makes himself available uh, to those who are, uh, to those in, uh, he makes himself available and intentionally develop relationships. Is people in the first chair need Christ followers are going to make themselves available and invest in those kingdom friendships. So here's what this may mean for you. I'll, I'll give you an example from my life, which is totally imperfect, uh, and this is going to sound so boring. I am on an HOA board, all right, and it is so fun, like, figuring out, like, how short does that lawn need to be before we get on with that letter? So one of the reasons why I do that is, besides the fact that it's so fun, like, sending collections letters and stuff like that, you know, it's like the best thing ever. Uh, is that is one of the only places where I like regularly see lost people. Uh, and this is just the, like the, the hard thing of working at churches. You're always around Christians, which is awesome. But also like I have to work to find lost people in my world. So for me, one of the places I do that is by being on this, this stinking board. And so we go there once a month. We talk to them. Uh, we went to, Roger, actually you went out there to, uh, to one of our members' house during Blessing the Bay Area. And uh, we're able to, to reach out to her. It's an intentional attempt to cultivate a friendship with her, with the other board members, because I, I have to choose to go into their world. I have to. They're not going to come to mine. I can't, I can't build a nice enough church with nice enough programs for people to come. I have to go to their world. And that's what people in that first charity is. People who are going to be incarnational, leave their, their privileges behind, and come to them. And lastly, we see Jesus responds with his interest in people in the first charity, Christ followers, who will present the gospel clearly and call them to follow him. So that's what you've got in front of you here, this piece of paper that has on the, uh, the colorful side this little gospel acronym. Um, we're not going to go over it in detail, um, but I will tell you, if you have any questions about this whatsoever, all you have to do is ask me by sending an email or calling up here or something, and I will make time to sit down and kind of talk you through this in detail. This is a, a tool to have a gospel conversation with people. Everyone is at some point uh, in this. If you don't have one of these or some more out there, uh, we'll, we'll grab, you can grab one on the way out. So memorize this acronym. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Is God created us to be with him? That's the starting point. So the first question you may ask somebody, I have this under in the yellow part, is uh, conversation tips for you, is ask them, hey, do you believe in a God? That's kind of a good starting point, right? Before assuming anything else. Do you believe in a God? And if they say, yeah, what do you think he's like? What's your view of him? Easy question. You can ask that. If you don't know what to say next, that's okay. Come back to it. But after somebody shares, ask permission to share your view on it. So, well, I think there is a God, and here's why. And here's what I think he's like. I think that he made us. I think that he wants to know us. I think he wants a relationship with us. You, my friend, just had a gospel conversation, and it was really easy. Just by asking, do you think there's a God out there? I mean, this is weird, but honestly, do you think there's a God out there? 
So the next one is our sins separate us from God. This is a key truth of the gospel, is our sins separate us from him. So we want to ask this question uh, for this person is, uh, I, I love this, is the beauty of our world is there's always bad stuff happening. And so all I do is I look to, to an event and I may say something like, you know, you see all these terrorist attacks happen or there's like bombings in New York or in all the place there. Is why do you think just evil stuff like that keeps happening? That, that's all I do is you grab any current event and plug in, why do you think this thing happens, this evil stuff happens? And they give their answer, oh man, you know, these people, they're just, they're just jacked up, you know, I think if they just had freedom or whatever. And I give the answer is, you know, when I think about it, I, I see myself in them, honestly. Because if I could do whatever I wanted without any consequence, I'm a pretty wicked person. <coughs> I'm a pretty hateful person, too. And, and I have done things that have hurt a people unjustly. And so I see that they've created to the extreme, these people, these, these murderers and terrorists. If I look at myself, my own heart left uh, unrestrained, I could be a terrorist, too. I totally could. And so I've gotten to the point now where it's our sins. I mean, we have sins. If you think about yourself, I mean, have you ever done anything that has, has done violence or wrong to somebody that they didn't deserve? Yeah, you have. That's called sin. We do that stuff. And it separates us from people. It separates us from God. So that's, that's that next one. The third one is sins can't be removed by good deeds. This is my favorite question to ask for this one if somebody's really debating you is to ask them how much money you have to donate to charity to be released, uh, like if you did a school shooting or something. You know, because clearly there's a point, like, you don't bring those kids back if something terrible like that happens. So th there's a reality that our sin is so terrible, it can't be paid for with cheap means, like dollars or like works. It requires something more than that. Sins can't be paid for. Uh, our sins can't be paid for by good deeds removed. But paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. That's the answer, is there is shed blood. The introduction to this is, uh, if, if you ask somebody a question is, you know, if you saw blood out there, if you came into your room and you saw blood on the floor, what would come into your head right away? And most of us, it's something serious has happened, right? Something's not right here. And that, that, that's, a, that's a helpful introduction to a conversation about why did Jesus have to die? Because something very serious took place when we sinned. It's, blood was shed because it's a reminder that our sin is so great, so terrible, that something very serious had to happen to remove it. So when we see Jesus' death on a cross, it's a reminder that my sin is that bad. And I need a God who can remove that sin from my life. And thankfully, Jesus did that. And his resurrection proves to me that God accepted his payment. That's how I can have that faith. Uh, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. We want to get to the point, do they trust in Christ alone? This is now where we begin to ask them the question, come and follow me, like Jesus does uh, with, uh, with Philip. Just come and follow me. So do you, do, you want to, do you believe that Jesus is the only one who can remove your sins? Do you want to put your faith in him? Do you want to trust in him to remove your sins today? Because everyone who believes in him has eternal life. And the last one is that life with Jesus begins now and lasts forever. This is where you invite them to that discipling relationship. Because if you have believed that, your life with Jesus has started right now. And, and I want to help you know how to follow him. So here's what we're going to do. And we have the blue book and the green book. You know, you've seen those things before. Some methods. We'll help you with that stuff too. But that's the last stage of here. This is how you have an easy gospel conversation. Does that make sense? So if you have questions about this, we will help you with this. We will talk you through how this thing works. But this is a good way for you if you're getting your hair cut. Uh, some of you guys maybe don't do that very often anymore. Um, but for those of us who still do, for those of us who get our hair cut, uh, it may last longer for some of us than others. Uh, these are conversations you can have with the person who's cutting your hair. Just ask them, hey, why do you think this bad stuff keeps happening? Why do you think that takes place? And this is an easy way for you to have a gospel conversation right there. So turn over to the back of your page. And I want you to write there, you've got a couple blanks. So we're going to take just a minute or two here. 
I want you to think about who are these people in your circles who you know are in chair one. You've got a couple of categories there. You have family, you've got friends, you've got uh, people in your, your workplace or in your hobbies, and you've got neighbors. <coughs> so take a minute there. I want you to write this as many names you can think of who you know are in chair one. Okay, so true confession, this takes time for me to do, and that is like a giant red flag for me. If I have to think about people that are in the first chair in my world, and I can come up with them, but it takes me a second, then I probably don't have a very good chance of success of inviting them to come and see Jesus. If I have to think hard of who somebody I could think of that maybe would be in my circle who's lost, uh, I probably don't have a good chance of success with that. So if, if that's you, that may be a, just kind of a, a chance for you to reflect and think through, is there something you can do to put yourself in their world more? Maybe a sign that I'm not incarnational in the way I, I do things. And, and the truth is, is, is uh, we would rather you be in their world than like come to every event at Bay Area Church. And it's more important for you to, to be actually ministering in those circles than to come to every event that's calendared here. So this is freedom. Uh, since Brian's not here, uh, don't tell them I said this, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to delete that part from this recording. Uh, but we got to find a way to be intentional about going into those places where people actually are. And which of these people would say, Grant is my friend? If they can't say Grant is a friend who cares about me, then I've not done a very good job of building that bridge to carry the gospel across. So th that's for me. That may be for you, too is who do we know that is in that first chair in our world, and would they consider us a friend that they would trust to talk about serious stuff? Um, yeah. Another thing, if we have to think very long about that, we're not very burdened about them, and we're sure not praying for them. Yeah, Jimmy, it's a great point, is if we have to think about we may not be burdened enough for them, uh, and we're probably not praying for them. It's tough to forget people on your prayer list that you're really praying for. And I think there's something to that. I think there is. I don't mean to like give you the downer on this one, but it, it could be true. If it's true, then then let it sit there and marinate in you. Um, yeah. Uh, the message actually that an atheist gave, um, Ken Gillette, the comedian. Yeah. Uh, he did a YouTube video of someone had given him a Bible after a event, and he talked about that and how that man's a really good man. And then he talked about how he doesn't believe in hell, but that if you honestly believe someone is going to hell, Yeah, it's a pretty powerful video he's got there. Uh, it's on YouTube. Pendulette is his name, if you look for that. The uh, last thing before I break up into tribes is um, I've got here this little bowl. And uh, anybody know what that is? It's a flea. No, it's not. <laughs> I've got a bowl of fleas. <laughs> now, this, it's a seed. It's a seed. And my friend Kirk picked these up here today. Um, if I put this in the ground, how many plants could I get? Jesus' desire for us is that we would bear much fruit. If I plant no seeds, how many flowers do I get? Zero. There still is a 100% ratio on that one. Is there is a direct link between what we reap and what we sow. There just is. If, if we don't see that kind of fruit in our lives, if we're wondering, where are those chair one people in my world who are coming to know Christ? And this is a spiritual thing, so this is not 100% guilt time, but it could be 
We're not putting enough of these things in the ground. It could be that. If we want to have a field full of flowers, we do this kind of thing. Right? We just, all over the place. They're not all going to take. Jesus tells us as much. Some of them are snatched up. Some are going to rocky soil. But if we want to have a harvest, we've got to plant seeds. We just have to. So this is the harsh truth is that we reap in proportion to what we sow. So for me, this is convicting. Is if I want to see more fruit in my life, I've got to sow more. I just have to. And it's not out of guilt or compulsion, but because I love those people. And because I love my Lord enough and believe that he alone is worthy of worship and devotion. So I want people to know him and I want them to follow him. So we're going to split up now back into our tribes. You've got uh, about like 10 minutes or 10, 15 minutes or so. Uh, here's the questions. You have them on the back of your sheet. You may have noticed. Uh, so tribe leaders, if you want to try to help everybody share on these. The big thing, if there's one thing that you do as your takeaway today, question number two is think of somebody that you wrote down in that first chair, and I want you guys to hold each other accountable. So what is something that I need to do this week to begin to build that bond of friendship, to begin to have that gospel conversation with that person? What's one thing that I can do this week that these guys are going to ask me about next time to build that bond of friendship? Does that make sense? A friendship. Does that make sense? A friendship. Does that make sense? A friendship. Does that make sense?